You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. I would be surprised to think that there's anyone in the room who hasn't heard that song before. Anybody not heard this song before? Wow, I'm amazed. There's one, one for three people, three, four people. No, you're too young. You don't count. You're too young. This is U2, the very famous Irish band and their lead singer Bono singing. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. This song was a 1987 global hit for this band when they launched their album, The Joshua Tree. And it seemed like a cry for a generation. And it's a cry that hasn't worn out since. In actual fact, it is now almost de rigueur, or almost popular to say, that I haven't found what I'm looking for. We've come to an age when it seems to be more important to be somebody who's seeking truth, or seeking something, than to be someone who has found something. And so this song seems to have a resonance and seems to continue to be part of a cry, a life cry of so many people. Thanks, guys. Seems to be a life cry of so many people. I want to talk to you this morning, just for a few moments, um, about somebody in the scriptures who was, seemed to be very certain that he had found what he had looked for. Now, I think everybody here in this room Everybody below in Cafe Church, good morning Cafe Church, by the way, good morning, I hope you're well this morning, thank you for tuning in. Um, I think everybody here is missing something. I think we're all still seeking something. There's something else that we're looking for. We may have been Christians for five days, five hours, five weeks, five months, five years, but we can still find ourselves in a place where we're looking for something. We may not be looking for a savior, and if we're Christians, we certainly shouldn't be looking for one, but we are looking for something. And we're always continually in a world that is offering us choices. And I think that we've come to a stage now where choice has become so ridiculous that people are frozen and in a permanent state of thinking that there's something better than what they have available. And that's visible in relationships, it's visible in the work environment, it's visible in the social environment of, of, of the world, of the country and countries like this, that people feel that there is always something better. And, and the basis of advertising, which drives us so much, is always telling us that there's something better that you've been looking for. That there is that certain car, that certain place, that certain lifestyle, that certain makeup, maybe it's Maybelline or maybe she's born with it, I don't know, but it, it's a certain something that you need that will make it better for you. You still haven't found exactly what you're looking for. And I want to look this morning at a character who was quite certain that he had found what he was looking for. In actual fact, he was so certain that he'd found what he was looking for that he told everybody else that that's what they were looking for too. The guy I'm talking about this morning is a guy called John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is a very well-known character from the Gospels. And he's recorded in all four Gospels. He's recorded as a, an important character in all four Gospels. He was in many senses, and in, in many senses, he was a signpost pointing to Jesus. He was, as he said himself, the voice of one calling in the desert while he's quoting Isaiah. He's also, uh, he's quoting the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40 so often. He's described as somebody who was saying that I am not the guy who was to come, but somebody's coming who, who will, who will 
really be the guy. People went to John the Baptist because he was so fiery. He was such an Old Testament type prophet. He was so ascetic. He was such a straight guy that people thought maybe this guy is the Messiah. And when people asked him that, he gave this response. Here's the version of it from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3. John said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not even worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor, gathering the wheat into the barn, and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. John the Baptist did not mince his words. He did not change his direction. He was absolutely dead straight about what he said about Jesus. And John was a very ascetic guy. He didn't, he didn't drink. Uh, he, he didn't cut his hair. He, didn't, he wore kind of funny clothes made of camel's hair. He ate funny food like insects and that kind of stuff. Thanks, John. You're grand. I'm fine. I'm John was not what you would call a crack in Ireland. He certainly wasn't. You didn't invite him to the party. If there was a party happening, you didn't invite John because John was going to spoil the party if he came along. And this guy, John, continually pointed to Jesus at every opportunity. And anytime anybody asked him what was going on, he went to Jesus. He pointed to Jesus. It's there recorded in Luke's gospel, in Matthew's gospel, in Mark's gospel, in John's gospel. And time after time, he says, no, not me, it's Jesus. Not me, no, no, it's Jesus. He's the guy, he's the guy you should follow. When John's own disciples went and saw Jesus in, in John's gospel, in, uh, in John's gospel chapter one, John said to them, you See him? Or behold, as the old English word says. See, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And it says that John's disciples left him and followed Jesus after that. And then a little bit later in that same passage, people came and said to John, John, you know, Jesus, this guy, he's getting more popular than you. And his answer was, well, he must increase and I must decrease. He is the bridegroom. I'm just the best man. That's my job. And then John disappears off the stage. And he disappears off the stage for a very good reason. He gets stuck into a guy called Herod Antipas. And when he gets stuck into this guy, Herod Antipas, he begins to tell him that his life is not exactly in order. And the kings, these ancient kings, never really liked being told things like that. They were tyrants. They wanted to do what they wanted to. And so John was stuck in prison. Now, many of you know this story already. But John was stuck in prison, and he would later be beheaded. And this man who was used to freedom and walking the wilderness... And praying in the wild and shouting to people and calling upon the name of the Lord and pointing to Jesus is suddenly locked in prison. And he's in prison for somewhere between a year and 18 months at the point the story we're going to look at this morning is recorded in Luke's Gospel 7. He's been there about a year or maybe 18 months. He's in a place called Marcherus, which was a fortress that was uh, run by Herod Antipas and was near his Dead Sea Resort. It was a jail on the banks of the Dead Sea. Uh, which is kind of ironic because that's where John was based himself, but that's another story. So he's locked in prison, and as he's locked in prison, he begins to experience something that you would experience if you were locked in prison. He would begin to wonder. And I think you would begin to wonder. If this guy who you were declaring as the Messiah had come along, and then suddenly you're locked in prison, and your circumstances change. Now, very few people here are going to be locked in prison for their faith. But there's all kinds of prisons, brothers and sisters. There's all sorts of prisons. There's prisons in here. There's prisons in here. 
There's work prisons. There's home prisons. There's relationship prisons. There's societal prisons. There's all sorts of prisons that we can be in. And here is John looking at a situation and it says that he called his disciples to him. Let's see what it says here in Luke's Gospel, chapter 7. It says, the disciples of John the Baptist told John about everything that Jesus was doing. And so John called for his two disciples, two of his disciples, and he sent them to the Lord to ask him, are you the Messiah that we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? Are you the guy that we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? Now this is the strangest question from a guy who's built his entire life out of saying he's the guy. Now he sends the question to say, are you the guy? Because John's life is not working out fantastic. I love it. It starts off, it says that John the Baptist's disciples came and told him that everything Jesus was doing. Now John had told those who were coming to him that Jesus was going to have, as we read earlier, his winnowing fork in his hand. And he was going to baptize with fire. And he was going to bring judgment. And he said to people, you brood of vipers, who told you to run from the coming anger of God? He'd warned them. He said, boy, wait till you get a load of the Messiah. He's going to sort you all out. Was loosely translated into Corkish, uh, the version of what John the Baptist was saying. Wait till he comes. He'll sort you out. He's going to sort out our enemies. He's going to come with an army. He's going to straighten everything. He's going to bring God's judgment. Aha, wait till you see Jesus. And then his disciples come and tell him all that Jesus is doing. And you go, yes, he's telling them all about what Jesus is doing. Really? Because Jesus was doing some things that I don't think John was expecting. And I don't think they're things that I would have been expecting. Look at some of the things that Jesus was doing that John wouldn't have done. I can just imagine the two disciples arrive and they're telling John, well, he says, tell me, tell me, what's Jesus doing? What's what's the Messiah Jesus doing? And they said, well, why don't you tell him? No, 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 you can tell him honestly. Well, he was was, uh, touching lepers. What, what, leopards? No, no, lepers. He was touching lepers. Oh, okay, that, that's strange. It probably wouldn't be the thing. Anyway, what else is he doing? Well, he, he's, he, he touched a dead body just a couple of days ago. A, a dead body? Right. O- okay, well, okay. Right, well, Lord, here we go. Um, so, so, so tell me, what, what, what's Jesus been doing? Tell me all about it. Um, he, he's, he's, he's been breaking, breaking the Sabbath. He's been, um, you know, eating food and, and, you know, he's been breaking the Sabbath, Lord. It's, you know, it's kind of a strange one, I know. We're kind of wondering ourselves. He says, breaking the Sabbath? What? Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's a strange one. Okay, look, just forget it. Obviously, there's a misunderstanding here somewhere. Just t- tell me, what other things has he been doing? Well, he hasn't been ceremonially washing his hands before he eats. What? Oh, sorry, sorry, just give me a second yeah, yeah he, he, not, not, not washing his hands. No, not, he's not washing hands. Okay, right, okay. Well, there, there must be a good reason for that. Anything else he's doing? Yeah, yeah, he, he's not fasting. He's not fasting. I'm fasting. I'm sitting in a dungeon here. <laughs> I'm fasting. <laughs> I don't get a choice. It's not like, I think I'm going to go fasting. It's just nothing to eat. <laughs> and Jesus isn't fasting. Jane, isn't it easy for him all the same, huh? huh? So what else is he doing? Well, well, he's actually feasting and he's drinking with sinners and tax collectors and all sorts of rabble. Lord, really, he's, 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 he's actually having dinner with collaborators and that. What? 
And John is, okay, lads, is there anything else I need to know about Jesus? Well, you tell him, okay. He was touched by a prostitute. Oh, what? Is it any wonder, John, who would never touch a leper, never touch a dead body, never break the Sabbath, never go without ceremonially washing. He was always fasting, who never ate with sinners, and I guarantee you never touched a prostitute. And here's the Messiah doing this. Let's just say John's expectations of Jesus were kind of going down the pan really fast. And sometimes it can happen to us that we have funny expectations. And we can have expectations in our heads and go, do you know, I thought it would be more like, when I got married, I thought it would be more like fill in the blank. When I had children, I thought it would be more like fill in the blank. Because we all have ideas of what we, when I got that new job, I mean, I really thought it would be like, we all have expectations. And so does John. The problem for him, though, was that he had invested his entire life. Everything hung on this. John was, was, was a man who knew that execution was waiting for him. And Samuel Johnson, the essayist and writer, the English essayist, American essayist and writer, said this. He said, when a man knows he is to be hanged in a fortnight, it concentrates his mind wonderfully. There's no issue when you know you're going to be hanged in a fortnight or beheaded in a fortnight that you kind of begin to wonder, should you have gotten your highlights done? You know what I'm saying? Or should, should you maybe build up your abs or something? No, no. Well, you, you really focus on what's important in life when you've got two weeks to go. And here is John saying, my entire life, my whole ministry, I was born, angels announced it, I was given a name, I declared who he was, I danced in the womb at the news that he was about to be born, the whole lot, and now here it is, and I'm all ready for him to come, and suddenly, my whole life's work is, what is it, going up in smoke? And it says this, so John's disciples, well, they do what they're supposed to do. It says, now two of John's disciples phoned Jesus and said to, said to him, John the Baptist sent us to ask. I love they didn't say, well, we're asking. Like, no, 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 it was John. It wasn't us, or we, we were grand, honestly. John the Baptist sent us to ask, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Wow. You know, you kind of get the impression that Jesus stood there stoically going, what thou, that thou should ask such a question? Some kind of, I am the Messiah, how dare you ask? <laughs> you kind of, kind of get this impression, that you, but I'll bet you, I will bet you that Jesus was wounded by these words. Are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Should we keep looking for someone else? And you know, it's a strange thing that happens about our expectations is that when they're not met in life, in relationships, in parenting, in work, in anything, whatever it is, we can begin to look for something else. We can begin to look for fulfillment in some other area and go, well, this isn't the life that I was expecting. And so uh, maybe I'm going to start looking at something else. This job isn't working out very well. I, I don't think, really think I'm appreciated here. I'm going to move on. No, that doesn't mean we don't sometimes move on and so on and so forth. I'm not, putting in, I'm not saying anything like that. Good girl, you, you watch me. <laughs> I 
But you know, I think it can happen to us, even as Christians, that when the expectations we had for our lives as Christians don't begin to work out, we can begin to look elsewhere, into our hobbies or our careers or relationships. And we can begin to wonder, is this really what I was looking for? And you see, when people come to Jesus, very often they come with a set of preconditions. You see, we, don't, we may not realize it, but very often people say, well, you know, if Jesus accepts this about me, then I will become a Christian believer. If the people in that church accept me just as I am, I'll become a Christian believer. You know, a woman rang me a few weeks ago. Well, actually, it's, about, it's a few months ago. It was back last October she rang me. And, and she rang me, and when, when she rang me, she said, I'm looking for a church. And I said, you know, great, you rang the right guy. Yeah, I happen to be in one. We have one inside in the city centre. And I talked to this lady and she seemed to be very effective as, affected as I was telling her what Grace Church was like and so on and so forth. And as the conversation went on, she eventually said, and I don't want to offend or cross anybody's boundaries. I'm just telling you the story as it came to me. She said, well, I have a son and my son is gay. And what I want to know is, Will your church accept that my son is gay? And I said, well, we're not in the business of trying to pretend that gay people aren't gay. You know, as far as I'm concerned, that, that, that's his call. It, it doesn't mean that we fully agree with that lifestyle or whatever, but, but, but I said, yeah, we accept that. And then, and then she said, okay, well, that's great. Well, then I'm going to come along. But let me tell you, before you do know, my son is very defensive. And he's as likely to walk into your church wearing a dress and a wig as he is wearing normal clothes. Will you still accept him? And I won't continue on with what happened, but the conversation went on. And it kept on, the ante kept on being raised. Will you accept him if? if? Will you accept him if? Will you accept him if? And eventually it got to the stage where I realized I was being codded. That somebody was actually utterly insincere in their seeking of God, but they just wanted to see what kind of a church was Grace Christian Church. And of course, I remained as gracious as I could, gave her as many honest and truthful, genuine and gracious answers as I could. But it was clear that this person actually had zero interest in being involved in the church, but wanted to say, if I can only be like as I am, then I'll become a Christian. Well, I can tell you this. Jesus accepts and takes everyone as they are. Would anyone say amen? amen. I don't care what condition you're in. He'll take you as you are, but he will not leave you as you are. If you're a broken person, he's going to heal you. Amen? He's not going to leave you as you are. And so we can have these ideas that we bring and we say, well, well, is Jesus really the Messiah? Or should we really be looking for something or someone else? Is there some other way that I can express who I am? There is no better way to express who you are than becoming a Christian. I don't mind to tell you that. There is no other way. So th this is the question that he raises. Are you the one we should expect, should look in or should we keep looking for someone else? It says, at that very time, Jesus cured many people of their diseases and illnesses and evil spirits. And he restored the sight to many who were blind. Would you do me a small favor? I'm going to fall off the stage because I'm kind of trying to be careful. Would you go back over to your mum? Good girl. Thank you. Will you give a round of applause? Good girl yourself. I have a lovely, it's lovely to have the shadow going up and down the stage. At that very time, Jesus cured many people of their diseases, illnesses, and evil spirits, and there was the sight of many were restored. And then it says this. Then he told John's disciples, go back and tell John 
what you have seen and what you've heard. The blind see. The lame are walking. The lepers are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is being preached to the poor. Go back and tell John what you're seeing and what you're hearing. And for some here this morning, when you question, you say, am I really in the right place? And you could be on the road for 40 years as a Christian. I don't mind. You can still have these. Well, you know, maybe I'm missing something. If you've got Jesus, you're missing nothing. But sometimes our circumstances, brothers and sisters, can become bruised. We become bruised because of pain or distress or trouble or hassle or unmet expectations. And we become bruised in our faith and our faith can become broken. And we can begin to go, you know, what was I doing this for? Why have I followed the Lord all of this time only to find myself in this situation? I really just wanted a wife. No, I got one nice and early, but there you go. I really just wanted a wife, but I didn't get one. I really just wanted a husband, but I didn't get one. I wanted my perfect job, but it didn't come. Why is my body not healed? After all my years of following Jesus, why is my body not healed? And these questions can haunt us just like John was haunted as he sat there in the prison thinking about what Jesus was doing. He was haunted. His faith was bruised. Doubts began to sneak in and creep in. And you're here this morning, and I know there are people here this morning, and this message is for you. The Lord wants to say to you this morning, there isn't someone else. It's only Jesus. It's only Jesus. You're not, you may as well wait all you want. And I love when Jesus says this. The final words he says. And tell, tell John the Baptist this. God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. God blesses those who do not turn away because of what I'm saying. And what I'm doing. And how I'm living. And how I'm fulfilling the role of Messiah. God blesses those. So the message was to go back to John. John, here's the gig. The deaf are hearing. The blind are seeing. There's healing, raising from the dead. The good news is being preached to the poor. So just to let you know, John, Jesus also said, God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. A message to John himself. You see, John was never going to be free from that prison. He was going to sit in that prison until he was beheaded. He was going to sit there and he was going to stew with the words of Jesus. Blessed is he who does not fall away because of me. And you know, we talk about people being discouraged. I've said it so many times that we lose more people to discouragement than we do to attacks of the devil. But so much of our discouragement and my discouragement at times is not rooted in God's goodness or what God is doing but my expectations of the outcomes in my life. I thought being a parent would be easier. I thought the minute I would sit at my table and open my Bible, my children would comb their hair and cross their hands and listen and say, yes, Father, preach unto us the scriptures. Instead of going, oh, he's talking about the Bible again. I thought that this was going to be just raise up a child in the way that he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. Amen. They're not old yet. Would anyone say amen? amen. I had expectations 
I had expectations of my jobs that I did. I had expectations of my marriage. Oh, but my cup overflows there. Hallelujah. <laughs> I just kept the expectations low. Is all I can say. Keep your expectations low. God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. You know, you're going to meet people and you'll meet people every day who are looking for the real deal. Jesus is the real deal. There is no other real deal. And regardless of what we bring this morning, no matter how bruised your faith is, and we're going to pray in just a second, no matter how bruised your faith is, no matter how struggling with your circumstances, whether that's through pain or trouble or distress or disappointment, one of the biggest ones, disappointed expectations, we still have to continually come back to the same place. There is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. It's Jesus and Jesus only. There is no other stream. There is no other source. And I come back to what, what John the Baptist himself said about Jesus. He said this. He is sent by God. He speaks God's words. For God gives him the spirit without limit. The father loves the son. And he puts everything into his hands. And anyone who believes in God's son has eternal life. Will anyone say hallelujah? You see, that's the good news that John preached about Jesus. But I know that here this morning, there are many who are bruised. Many who are wounded. Many whose faith is just hanging in by a string. Because of disappointments and hurts and wounds. I love what Isaiah the prophet says. Look at my servant whom I strengthen, speaking of Jesus. He is my chosen one who pleases me. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or raise his voice in public. I love this part. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He will not put it out. And sometimes we are guilty because we're disappointed and our faith feels weak. And then we have this horrible cycle that can kick in in our lives which says, I can't come to God because my faith is weak and because I feel so disappointed. And this desperate downward spiral can begin in our souls where things aren't working out but we can't do anything about it because we don't want to tell God how bad things are. But he does not break the bruised reed. Hallelujah. He accepts those. Who come to him. So let me ask you. Have you found what you're looking for? Have you found what you're looking for? There are some people here this morning. And you're wondering. Why on earth did I end up coming into this church this morning? You're a visitor here this morning. You've come so that you could hear about Jesus. The one and only name given under heaven. By which you must be saved. That there's salvation in no other name. Hallelujah. For some of us here this morning, we've come in with our hurts and hindrances, our hassles, and our, soul, our sore souls. And you know, this morning, I'd like us to pray. Pray that God would renew us and would refresh us and remind us of his goodness to us. Will you stand with me? I'm going to ask the band to come up. We're going to sing the song, Our God. And for the crack, unlike the bold John the Baptist, I'm actually going to sing the song myself, if you're okay with that.
There is two. We're going to open. Just going to sing this song and then we're going to pray. Are you okay with that? Just conscious of our time now. We're right up against the wire. Oh, I lost my clip. My clip from the night. Oh, I didn't. I have it here. Nearly fell out. You know the song, Water, You Turned Into Wine. Can I invite you to raise your hands as we begin to sing this morning and glorify Jesus. Lord, let our hearts be taken up with a vision of you again. Water you turned into wine. You opened the eyes of the blind. There's no one like you. There's none like you. And into the darkness you shine And out of the ashes we rise There's no one like you There's none like you yeah. Cause our God is greater Our God is stronger God you are higher than any other Our God is healer Awesome in power our God our God. I'd like us to pray together. If you're here this morning, could I ask everyone to close their eyes just for a moment? We're going to bow our heads just to give everyone a bit of privacy around us. If you're here this morning and you realize that up to this point in your life, you haven't found what you're looking for. And this morning, the message about Jesus is speaking to your heart. And you sense God drawing near to you this morning. And you want to begin the journey of faith this morning and following Jesus. If that's you here this morning, I'm going to keep it simple. I'm just going to invite you to raise your hands so that I can see it. I see your hands. Praise God. Let's just pray very briefly. Lord, for those who prayed to begin a journey of faith this morning, we lift them before you, Lord, and we ask you, would you move into the neighborhood of their hearts, Lord? Would you move into their lives, Lord, and show them to be who you are, the one and only Jesus, the one and only Savior, the one and only Messiah, Lord. I pray, Lord, decisions made in hearts and lives here this morning would be transformative, Lord. I pray, Lord, that literally the eyes of the blind would be opened in this place this morning in Jesus' name and God's people said. If you're here this morning, and like so many, over so many centuries, you know this morning that your faith is bruised and that it's smoldering. And you just need a fresh touch of God this morning. You want to say, Lord, I recognize that you are the one and only for my life. And I want to declare again this morning that I have decided to follow you and that I want to take you at your word this morning. If your faith is wounded through hurt, through injury, through disappointment, through expectations that have gone west, and you want to declare this morning, Lord, I'm following you, no turning back. Would you raise your hand? I ask you to raise your hand going to get and stay right where you are because we're going to pray can I invite you to raise the other hand with it as we pray this morning Lord Jesus Christ we thank you Lord that you have a purpose and a plan for every life 
And Lord, I thank you that though sometimes we don't see it and sometimes we don't see your purposes worked out, Lord, you are still at work. Lord, I pray for the touch of your Holy Spirit to rest upon my brothers and sisters this morning, Lord. The ones, Lord, whose faith is injured, Lord. Those whose faith is smoldering this morning through circumstance or situation, Lord. People who've wondered, am I really on the right course or on the right path here this morning? I pray that a renewed sense of your nearness, Lord, would be upon them, Lord. A renewed sense of your purpose and plan for their lives would rest upon them, Lord Jesus. I pray that their expectations... Lord Jesus would be fulfilled in terms of what the scriptures say about you, Lord. Move again, Lord. Move again in their lives, Lord, and remind them of your goodness. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, Lord, we hand over our hurts and our wounds and our disappointments and our failed expectations. And we put them back into your hands, Lord. And we say, come, Lord, be Lord of my life. Be leader of my life again. I declare I'm going to follow you, no turning back. God's people say, let's all raise our hands to heaven as we close in prayer. Lord, as we go into the coming week, I pray we would sense you close. I pray, Lord, our life's analysis, Lord, would be a biblical analysis of our lives, Lord. That the analysis of our lives would be accurate to what Jesus would say about our lives about our hearts, about our souls, and about our situations. We commit ourselves into your hands this morning. Go with us. Bless us. Watch over us in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, brothers and sisters. Can do a few notices. Thank you, guys. Can we throw up the notices there, Josiah? Our prayer focus this week is Marek Agusik, and he'll be here on Tuesday night to share his prayer requests. If you're have any questions about Christianity or you know someone who does or you're new to the Christian faith, if you go upstairs, our Alpha group is going to start next Thursday. You can get more information and sign up. If you're interested in becoming an intern here at Grace starting next autumn, information table upstairs as well. We never take up a money collection but you can tithe and offer four ways. It's in your newsletter. It's also on the slideshow here. We're looking for volunteers for our kids' church ministry once a month. If you'd like to see what it's like on one Sunday, you can get all the details at our Connect desk upstairs. We really would appreciate that. Finally, we meet on Tuesday night, night church at half past seven. We have a visiting speaker, Pastor Andy Smith from Belfast. He's also a prophet. So if you want to come along and be blessed by both the word and the spirit, live music, band, ministry, good coffee afterwards, you're very welcome next Tuesday night here at half past seven. Over to John and the band. They're going to play us out. Coffee and tea has been served upstairs in the atrium. God bless your week ahead, John. <laughs>